I am going to talk like Shatner the whole podcast. Okay, maybe not. Welcome to our Bliss Bringers podcast. The materials we cover encourage adults of all ages, nationalities, and sexualities to open up and embrace their wildest desires and blissful pleasures. You won't find medical advice here, just our personal experiences following the journey of sexual evolution and education in sizzling fun topics that were definitely not taught to us in school, but have wickedly blossomed into reality. We discuss adventures in ethical non-monogamy, kinks and fetishes, exotic places to visit, sexy events, workshops, and tips allow us to seduce you into embarking on new adventures where each day you ask yourself what's your pleasure all right welcome again and thanks again for letting us in your ears tonight we have a very special guest here we have midori yay my girl crush oh and thanks for having me on Thank you for joining us. So a little bit of background with Midori. You are a sexuality author, speaker, and educator. And I understand you teach alternative and adventurous adults about sensual art, bondage. I also understand you graduated from the Berkeley University. Yay! Go Bears! With a psychology degree. An interesting part that I discovered is that you also served in the Army Reserves as an intelligence officer. Yes, indeed. What could go wrong with that? <laughs> Tell us a little bit more about what you do, uh, what you were doing over the last couple of years, and what kicked off your career in sexuality. In terms of describing what it is I do, and for over the years I've been trying better ways to explain it, right? Because, all right, so tab A, sloppy, you know, blowjobs, bondage, cunnilingus, uh, um, pleasures and whipping. Sure, I'm teaching that, but when it comes down to it, and I'm, I'm constantly trying to hone this down, that the art of creative living and the pursuit of fulfilled lives. Okay, so on the surface, it's the technique, mm-hmm. but underneath it all is always about being open to creativity and being open to truly sensing yourself and truly grasping the other. And it's not just about sex. It crosses over into, to, well, when you open the fridge and you decide to cook something, or when you decide to go into a brainstorming session at work, or when you decide to figure out a, a new route to walk to, to school or whatever, mm-hmm. right? So the art of creative living and the pursuit of fulfilled lives. The door that I'm holding open and inviting people to walk through just happens to be in the realm of pleasure and sexuality. But that door also leads to other things and other skills because you can take all the skills of the pursuits of fulfilled living and creativity and it applies to everything. Mm-hmm. So how did you get into this? Completely accidentally. Really? I did not plan it at all. Okay, so I was studying psych. And to be honest, I joke about how I was studying cocktail conversations. I honestly should have probably studied more in sociology. And while the flagrantly abnormal psych case studies are fascinating, I'm even more fascinated by the ordinary. Because the ordinary, when you look at it, is absolutely extraordinary. Like what? Well... The fact that we navigate through teenage and 20-something dating, mating, and even figure out who the hell we want to fuck. A couple of cocktails. I can figure that out. (laughs) You know, I envied my classmates that they were going to be doctors and engineers and lawyers. I had no idea. After college and uh, time in the service, I ended up in San Francisco. And so here I am in San Francisco in 1991. So right after some of the worst of the plague years, after the HIV plague years, and here I am like Marianne Singleton out of Tales of the City in a wide-eyed and just coming into my adulthood in this city that's under this shadow and the cloud of death. With AIDS. Yeah, with AIDS and HIV, but at the same time it's San Francisco. So there's this constant earnest optimism. And I was clueless, book smart and school smart, but life stupid, working in a going nowhere job. But at night, I would go explore San Francisco. And I'm, you know, kind of a nerdy, quiet one, but I like the dressing up in San Francisco, like people who dress up. And, <laughs> and if I made an effort to dress up and go to places, people talked to me and they seemed really nice. And this is before the interweb, right? So I'm looking People in, had to actually talk to you. Right. And I'm looking in flyers and weeklies on what's happening. So I would go to, I would try different things. I, I, 
I was trisexual, I'd try it. <laughs> I would go to erotic poetry readings, a fetish fashion show. I'd go to a gay dance club. I'd go to a peep show, a strip joint, a dungeon, a swing club, or whatever. I'd try different things, just try. I'd pop in and sometimes I'd pop in, look around and pop back out or I'd stick around and make some friends along the way. And you were doing this alone. Yeah, yeah, because I didn't know any better. And San Francisco's a pretty nice place to be. Agreed. Um, a mild-mannered, nice girl alone. Because, mm-hmm. hey, you know, I remember once, uh, actually before coming to college when I was still looking around for school, right, coming to San Francisco, and I was standing on the street corner doing the tourist thing with a big map unfolded, you know, looking totally <laughs> lost. And this enormous man was like, bald and wearing leather and looked like Mr. Clean in leather and he comes striding towards me. <laughs> I'm five foot two. He's like ten feet seven, you know? And I'm like <laughs> and then this Don't man me. and then this man just kind of hunkers down and says, Are you lost? Can I help you? Aww. And the funny thing is, years later, I re-met him in the leather community. And what I discovered as I would go adventuring in these subcultures is that people were really nice. They are really nice. And a lot of people remembered what it was like. So they'd come up and say hi. Right. And along the way, as they're saying hi, some of the people that I met took me under their wing. They had a lot to do with the sex positive movement. Um, let's see, some of the first few people that befriended me, and I, you know, really had no idea who they were. Carol, Robert, Joni, Annie, Pat, later Patrick. You know, people like that. So we've got Carol Queen, Robert Lawrence, Joni Blank, Annie Sprinkle, Pat Califia. Those were big names. And they were just people that were... Hanging out. Yeah, and they were nice to me. And I just kind of tag along. They say, oh, there's this thing going on. Why don't you come along? I tag along. I dress up and I tag along. <laughs> and somebody else say, hey, there's this new club opening up. So it's like this fetish club. And we're going to do crazy things. And why don't you come over and they're going to uh, give you some free drinks. And, okay. I tag along. <laughs> and then, you know, somebody say, hey, want to do this performance with me? Okay. And I do it. And then I fell into this cradle of sex positivity before. And at that point, the term sex positive was starting to get used within the circle, it was very much a reaction against the shadow of death. Mm -hmm. That sex equaled death, that loving the way you wanted to meant you lost your family and social rights Mm -hmm. when it was a death sentence. This Lutz network of people saying that, you know what, sexuality is a part of a very complicated part, a very complicated humanity, Mm -hmm. but it should not be shunned haven't we fought long enough for civil liberties and you know why yeah we're struggling with the death and the disease but this should not beat us down that there are ways to have not just safe sex but safer hotter smarter yep sex and that it's all about living a more fulfilled humane humanity exactly Amen. so from there i ended up getting talked into taking the san francisco sex information course went through the SARS method of uh, being a peer-to-peer sexuality educator, requires you to get completely overloaded by every range of human sexual expression and experience. So overloaded with the information, you're presented with this ton of material, the range of human sexuality, and then you process it, you talk about your feelings to a point that as a peer-to-peer advocate or an educator, you can maintain when talking to somebody, a neutrality, to be able to speak with neutrality and suspend judgment in the moment. And receive information without giving Mm -hmm. some type of an expression or an emotion of yes or no, good or bad. Right. That would be hard for me. Yeah. And it's an amazing (laughs) training. Also, some of the local subculture education focus groups started asking me to start doing classes. Yeah. So I had no idea I had public speaking skills. And that's really how it all started. Wow. Yeah. So you've been introduced to all these various types of communities Uh and circles. How would you identify your sexuality and what's your pleasure? Oh, man. Okay. So right now I am exploring. It is a certain stage with my own rope exploration, but I've discovered that I now have a set of discipline around my practice. It really is a practice with playing with rope that I can 
induce amazing hallucinations whilst still being grounded in the here and now. Is that hallucinations within yourself or your play partner or both? Sometimes both, but uh, my frequency of being able to have amazing altered states mm. under a disciplined practice, that's going to be uh, my next stage of discussions. I don't want to say lessons, but to share how to get there. Um, because there is something to be said about being able to going from your everyday, la, 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 how was work, dear? And then within a short while to go to a place where I can literally feel my skin changing. I can feel myself as if I am either floating, flying, or where my entire body becomes liquid and enveloping. I've had um, vivid, vivid sense hallucinations of wings sprouting from my back. Mm. All the while having full cognitive and intellectual grounding in the now where I know it's you, I know it's me. I know I'm having this another layer of sensory experience. I told you it's that hemp rope. Yeah, it's that hemp rope. <laughs> I, I, I sniffing that you, hemp man, rope again. It is some awesome stuff. And what and whatever Twistedmonk.com. <laughs> oh yeah. His stuff's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Monk. It's something that I've been building up in like the last 15 years or so, and I really haven't been talking about it publicly. So, Why? Actually, I haven't been talking about it publicly because I was trying to put words to non-word experiences. Honestly, this podcast is probably the first time I'm really talking about it to the general public. I've talked about it a little bit to small hand-selected classes. Mm -hmm. What it is, is by creating a disciplined method and a habit of behavior in terms of leaving that thousand squirrels in my head, right, at the door, and going through a series of movements and thought patterns that actually clears me to become more present and allows me to pick up, pick up the want and the desires of myself and the other in a way that words don't communicate. Mm-hmm. Right? So you've, you've experienced this for a long time. It's just now you're starting to surface it and share it. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. And is it getting better and better? Kind of like an orgasm oh, it's, where it's, it's just with age, it starts getting better and better. Yeah, it, yeah, it is sweet. And I've got my my regular play buddies and play partners. Uh, some of them, uh, it's to a point that after a scene, they're like, so where did we go today? What were you this time? And we actually play this guessing game now where it's like, Hey, what was I this time? And they, you know, they'll guess it, right? One point I became a, an enormous white snake. At another point, this one was really freaky because at one point in one of the scenes, I have this beautiful man that is all bound up and he's essentially suspended off of me. And I'm holding him almost like a pieta and I'm just starting to bawl. Wow. And I don't know why, but it's good. So I'm just bawling. He's bawling and he's curling up in my arm. Here's this man who's like 6'2", <laughs> fortunately tall and skinny. I rigged it up such that he was essentially hanging off of me. And so it turns out two months prior, his mom died. Oh, my gosh. I'm getting all teary just thinking about it. Well, the and, whole thing is emotional yeah. when you give yourself and they give themselves. And there's this whole piece of surrendering subconsciously uh, and consciously. See, I'm getting all, yes, I am actually crying right now. We so like uh, those tears. Yeah, uh, it means that you're human. Uh, so we're that, actually talking about the scene. rope bondage yeah. and the sensuality and the eroticism that goes with it. But there is such a connection and... I mean, we're in the very beginning stages. Mm. We took your rope dojo class, but we've watched other artists, you know, that play with their partners. And it is very emotional. We, yeah. when we were in Australia and Miss Genevieve was showing us, there was a scene that she had and I, my mouth was open. I had not Genevieve been up in Brisbane. Yes. Oh, tell her hi. I love her. Hey girl, if you're listening, hi. <laughs> She mentioned you too. Mm -hmm. And so having that, that ability to see the exchange between the dominant and then the one that is being tied up. And I wouldn't even say it's a submissive because they're not all submissive, mm -hmm. but the one that is in the ropes, it is art, but yeah. it is an emotional connection. When it's really, really good, 
I feel like the boundary of myself becomes porous. Mm. There no longer is a top or bottom. The, the skin becomes irrelevant and the ego boundary dissipates. Now, right after the scene, you know, all the social armors and all the, 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 the porousness all closes up and, you know, I'm back to being a modern, civilized and guarded person. <laughs> but man, it's so awfully nice. But rope, I don't know, with the turn of life and accidents and happenstance of whatever path I took or didn't take, I ended up with rope, but it could have been so many other things. And flowers also make a lot of appearance. So about art, my private play is not art, but I am an artist. The medium occurs in both my private sexual erotic play and my artwork. So sometimes people think one to the other is the same, but I see that as two very distinct different realms that happen to have overlapping medium and tools. The play and the pleasure and the personal play part, that's about seeking the pleasure of the now and seeking the mutual thrill, whether it's somebody that I have a long-term relationship with or somebody I don't know their name <laughs> that I just met. It really doesn't matter. It's, it's about the connection of the now. Finding childhood joy of play. I, mean, I talk about kink as being, BDSM as being a childhood joyous play with adult sexual privilege and cool toys. Oh, that's so, a good way of describing yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that fun? yeah. Yeah, it's cops and robbers. It is. Yeah. Cops and robbers with your pants off. Right. <laughs> cops and robbers with your pants off. As Dan Savage would say. Absolutely. <laughs> so while the private play may be artful, it may even move you. It's very different than my art because what I'm doing with my artwork, the performances, the installations, the paintings, and the sculptures, I'm taking the pri the tools of the private so for example the body the rope sexuality even and then blowing it up to consider larger concepts history identity social intervention of turning um normative thought on its head addressing something that really bugs the shit out of me right <laughs> whether it's commodification of sexuality or gender inequality or the nature of memory and how we hold moments of beauty. So I'm interested in exploring those concepts, oftentimes using the tools that aren't recognized as fine art tools by bringing out the challenging, the dirty, the often shame-laden, or considered private, or that which is kept behind closed doors, to use those because now they've been infused with power Right. Of shame or guilt or whatever have you. And then intentionally using those as mediums of creating an emotional reaction. I would never put my play partner through what I put my performing partners through. Oftentimes I need to, them to be athletic. I need them to be equally a, a performer and an artist and a dancer. And we will be, if I'm doing a, a performance piece, for example, uh, my Evoco series, it's avant-garde flower arranging combined with avant-garde ikebana, combined with shibari or contemporary rope. And then I paint the body with sumi ink. Mm. And I use the parts of the body then to create abstract imprints of the body using sumi ink, which is echoes of gyotaku, which is fish printing. So I've combined and reinterpreted three Japanese craft art forms. There's an in-the-moment giant human flower arrangement that's moving, that is beautiful and grotesque and gorgeous and challenging. A human body is then painted willy-nilly, and there's almost that obvious objectification of the flesh. But then to ask people to hold that moment of beauty, beauty in their heart, right? And I take the abstract imprints I put it away like a little time capsule, and then I come back and I consider it again, and I sit with it, and I lose my mind into it, and then I take gold paint and gold leaf and start to paint on it, and then I have those abstract forms put into a scroll. Wow. Now, are you going to be doing this at the San Francisco Asian Museum? San Francisco Museum? Asian Arts Museum. And that's coming up. August 7th. We're yeah. going to be there. Thursday night. Fantastic museum. It's one of my favorite places. My gorgeous fetish is what it's titled, I think. Yes, and they're exploring all manners of the meaning of the word fetish from the original meaning of a 
a religious object believed to hold the power of uh, magic protection and transformation <laughs> to commodification, to erotic fetishism. They're exploring a whole range of it. The curator and the museum is really brave and courageous in this step that they're taking. Because they're not just settling with old scrolls and old pots, but they're really exploring what Asian art means now. I'm excited. I can't wait to see it. Yeah. And oh, yeah. And, the, and uh, speaking of things that I would never actually put my play partners through, I made a sofa out of blow-up dolls, all tied up like shibari bondage. <laughs> They're the cheap, cheesy blow-up dolls. It's really funny. It, and this that. is this was at the Seattle Erotic Art Festival. Wow. Oh, I That's a lot of blow-up dolls. Yes, it is. And, I've never seen so many blow-up dolls. I, I want to give a big shout-out thanks to the folks of the Pleasure Chest because they are... One of my favorite. Yeah, they actually become my art raw material supply source. If I can put blow-up dolls in the open, and then if I can get them sitting on the sofa, the conversations that will come from that. Oh, absolutely. This you gotta see is this my thing. comfort station. <laughs> Yes, boobs as headphones. I know some men would would really like that right there. Boobs over their ears. They're uh, boob-shaped silicone masturbation device. And I turned that into headset. And what the sound that plays in the headset, the sound of money being counted. (laughs) What? Where do you come up with these ideas? It's also a criticism of... I want um, some of your hemp rope. (laughs) (laughs) So it's, it's also, you know, a criticism of money and comfort and values. And what is that? Oh, this one. I took the face and chest of blow-up dolls, cut them out like masks. You cut their heads off. And open their eyes. And I invite people, and it says, hello, beautiful. I invite people to sit down and put on the face of the fetishized other. I bet you somebody already has that fetish. (laughs) Yeah. So the process of the Ivoko series, and that's about memories of moments of beauty. I flower arrange a person. I paint them. I print. Oh, look at that. And I'm going to be performing with one of my favorite performers, Samar. Then here are the abstracts, oh. uh, imprints. And oh. later they become scrolls. I'll be darned. That's awesome. And so that'll be there at the a San Francisco Asian Museum. I love it. It's kind of nice to be able to see a different side mm. of the Midori. Mm-hmm. I know you as the author and, uh, you know, all that and then just trying to find a few minutes to be ferociously present. Mm-hmm. It's not easy, but man, when I go there, it's so good. You just disappear right into it. Uh, I don't disappear. I emerge. It's a great way of putting it. With your performing partners, do you have any sexual relations with them or is it purely performing an artwork? It's like different levels of sex. She's holding her head. (laughs) How do I explain this? There's in shared pleasures. There's a whole sensuality of just experiencing something amazingly of the senses. It's not sex, but it's incredibly intense. And I have had sensual and sexual partners that I've done art with. But I got to say, my performances are lately getting very physically rigorous. So I have to ask for very specific skill sets. That was deep. That was really <laughs> deep. I got to tell you, I'm sitting here going, wow. Yeah, sorry. The art stuff, obviously, that's, you know. It's, no, I'm, I'm all into yeah. that stuff. And and there's totally an overlap with the stuff mm-hmm. I'm teaching and the art. There yeah. is. It's almost like there's a progression as you're exposing yourself. Mm-hmm. You're actually exposing more, I think, of your intimate side. Yeah, my my art is in many, many ways extremely vulnerably bearing. I mean, you know, like the the blow-up doll sofa. I am pissed off (laughs) at the um, unconsensual objectification of women. If somebody wants to be consensually objectified, yay, good on them. You know, find out all the hot ways to do that. But on everyday level, being dehumanized merely for a chromosomal difference. And that shit pisses me off. For good reason. Right. So thus, you know, the sofa. Professor T will be so thrilled to hear that part. (laughs) She's jumping up and down going, yes! Yay! So that was all very deep. Yeah. I'm digging this stuff. You can tell our personality differences. No, but it's it's good to to hear a little bit of of, of different science. Talking a little bit about the the fun and naughty stuff. Yeah, yeah. Good, good. 
So we have a lot of listeners in the sex positive community who are still not completely have their mind wrapped around kink and fetish. What, in your opinion, would be a good way to get their feet wet in it? One way to look at this is, isn't it great that there's something that kind of makes us nervous still? Mm -hmm. You know, that we're not so jaded that it's like, yeah, whatever, you know, bring out the chainsaws and the chicken. <laughs> um, the zombies. The zombie chicken with chainsaws, right? But, you know, it's really great to have something that still kind of gets you a little nervous and a little concerned. But BDSM really is childhood joyous play with adult sexual privilege and cool toys. It's cops and robbers with sex. Unfortunately, I think a lot of the ways that the kink gets represented in the media, fictional and nonfiction, ends up being very sensationalistic. Whereas I think in a lot of ways, most people play in some realm of kink or another. And how do I define kink? Kink is that which just kind of makes you pucker just a little bit. <laughs> so, it, you know, it changes by cultural times, right? It just gets your heart racing just a bit more, takes you out of your comfort zone just enough while being wrapped in perfect safety. Mm -hmm. So, And kids are brilliant at that, right? To create play, the cops and robbers thing. And then we hit puberty and we kind of lose that. And then we get to be adults and get all worried about what kind of sex we're supposed to be having. And what people will think. Yeah. I think it's great when somebody is thinking about they don't want to harm their partner. That's really fantastic because that's coming from a place of kindness and adoration and want of partner and self-pleasure and shared pleasure. The thing, though, is you can make it look and sound scary when it isn't. Mm-hmm. You know, like playing with a Nerf bat, um, a pillow fight, for God's sake. But, you know, you take your regular good sex, and assuming your regular good sex doesn't have a blindfold in it, you take your regular good sex and you add blindfold. Now it's kinky. That's right. Now it's kinky because what? Every kiss is now a surprise from this person that you've been with for so long or somebody familiar to you. And yet the blindfold makes everything a thrill. So think about how not to harm your love. And hell, we think about that in our regular sex. Why do we use lube? Why do we, you know, oh, my knees. Okay, I need to stand <laughs> up and fuck now. Let's face it, a regular bed really sucks for fucking. Yep. It's not a sling. We're not getting any younger. The first time you got elbow burns and knee burns, that was kind that of... That was cool. That was cool, right? Better get it old. Real fast. So the way that, you know, we work around reducing owies and harms in our regular good sex is the same sort of stuff we do around kink. If you want to get spanked, but you really don't want damage if the hand spanking is a big old hand with a heavy muscle behind it and rough skin, we'll put on a glove. Better still put on gloves with rabbit fur. Girls love that one. Oh, yeah. It's okay to be worried about the harming, but uh, don't let yourself get paralyzed by it. For people who want to go beyond the magazine tips, how do they get started with experimenting with rope or bondage or any of those other cool things? So number one rule is always, always, always remember that this is about shared mutual pleasure. It's about fun. Now, everybody has kind of a different flavor fun, and from night to night it might vary. You might like a little warm, snuggly fun, or tonight you want rough around the edges, tossed around the bedroom fun, or maybe you want a little scary fun. But in the end, you have to remember it is about each other's pleasure. And if you're playing big, evil, meanie, baddie, you got to remember that this is for shared fun. And... Uh, you have to make a decision of, ooh, if I play my big, evil, meanie, baddie this way, is it fun or is it not fun? Then the practical tip is let's make sure we all have a safe word on the person doing as well as the receiving. Safe word, it's that word that really means no as opposed to when no means yes because sometimes we like going, oh, no, 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 don't stop. And, uh, and that's, that's a when no means yes, but sometimes it's, uh, uh, honey, no, really, uh, no. You got to have the safe word. But if you're using words as a safe word, you got to be able to uh, speak it. So if the mouth is stuffed full with a cock or a toy or a vegetable or a pussy, 
or a boob or whatever. <laughs> if your mouth is full, it's hard to say your safe word. Now, you could be a dentist. <laughs> In which case you might have an unfair advantage in understanding what a full mouth is saying. But many of us are not. So just be able to speak and hear the safe word. Let's say a loud place with a lot of music. And if you can't hear the safe word, it's not worth it. And make sure you can remember it. Yeah. What was my In the heat of passion. Art fart. Ours is aardvark. Uh, warthog. No. Ostrich. No. Giraffe. No. What the fuck is that animal? We have a friend whose safe word is, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> yes, cat's fun. Um, I have a smart-ass friend whose uh, safe word is lawsuit. <laughs> oh, I like That's that That's good, one. right? That, that stopped me yeah. just now. <laughs> lawsuit. That's really funny. Yeah. But most people use red. Yeah, that's an easy one. Red, yellow, yeah. green. Yeah, red, yellow, green. In terms of getting into bondage and stuff, okay, remember, um, there are some things you don't want to do. You don't want to kill them, you don't want to harm them, and you don't want to bore them. Boredom, just as bad. Common, common things to watch out for is you don't want to compress the nerves and you don't want to compress the circulation, So, which means you probably don't want to tight, like tight, tight, super tight, tie anything. And I would actually suggest if you're just starting off with bondage, don't bother with rope. I know that sounds really weird considering I teach a lot of rope <laughs> classes, but why get hung up in the knots? And, you know, rope actually has a little bit of increased risk. You can tie it too tight. It can be a little bit cumbersome to undo, etc. Really nice, easy thing to start playing with is this commercially ready-made stuff called the bondage tape. It's like a self-sticky vinyl tape. It, oh, it's great. It looks like duct tape, right? Yes, but do not use duct Don't tape. Don't use duct tape. Oh, no, 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 no. You can find a link to this bondage tape in the show notes. So the bondage tape is great. It sticks only to itself. So let's say if you wrap it around the head for a blindfold, it's not sticking to the hair. Never wrap around nose and mouth. That's right. And we don't want to obstruct breathing. We don't want to obstruct the nerves functioning. And we don't want to obstruct the circulatory function. Because I want all of you all out in podcast land to be fucking shagging bondaging when you're 110 years old. Then you need the glasses to get the, the tape up. I can't. Honey, could you pass me the reading glasses? Because I can't seem to find the end of the bondage tape. What? Yeah. Honey, put your hearing aid in because you can't hear my safe word without your hearing aid. Yeah. So bondage tape is a great Yeah, advice. bondage tape is really great. And, and get scissors with it too, you know, and you, got, you should have safety scissors because you never know when things will happen. And you might have a perfectly lovely, safe, sexy, spicy, kinky sex scene going on, but the emergency may have nothing to do with you. Now, here we are in California, terra firma ain't so firma, and I say to you, oh my God, that's amazing, the earth is moving. And I'm looking at you and you're pale as a ghost that I realize that the earth is moving because we're having an earthquake. At which point, cut me out. Get me out of yeah. here, quick. It might be that we're having an amazing, hot, you know, sex bondage and a little spanky scene. And then... The parents are at the front door. Or the kids, you know, your, your uh, single digit children that are usually loud are suddenly quiet. <laughs> you know that quiet that children should not be? When you hear that, you know they're in trouble. <laughs> Maybe that's when you need to, you know, get out yeah. of that bondage. Yeah, so have a pair of scissors because it may not have anything to do. The emergency may have nothing to do with you. Safety scissors. They're like EMT scissors. They're great. They, they don't have, have the Sharpies at the end. They're blunted and they're great. So you start off with the bondage tape. Those are great. Neckties are not a good idea, really, because... Well, unless, you know, they're thrift shop neckties that you're never going to use again. It's really not wearable afterwards. It's a nice concept, but yeah. Guys, those neckties that you got from your mother-in-law for Christmas <laughs> that you don't really like. That's perfect, though. Uh, you know what I like, though? And, and that's actually how some of my first bondage started, was the bathrobe belts at a hotel. Oh, yeah. I never used and they're stuffed those. And fluffy. I was in college and my boyfriend of the time and I checked into a fancy hotel because it was a fancy hotel. I was going to say, that's not the hotels I was yeah. checking into at school. <laughs> no, it was one of these like special event things. I noticed that the, oh my God, the, it was the kind of hotel that had bathrobes. 
This is not a Motel 6. Oh I was God. just thinking that going, that was not Motel 6. Right? <laughs> and so then I like zoomed and, and the place even had a four poster, right? It was definitely a special weekend, special night. The bedroom had a four poster, like fuzzy bathrobes. And I totally took off the belts of the, the hotel bathrobe. Awesome for bondage. Did you tie him up or did he tie you up? Uh, little both took turns. Um, neither of us knew what we were doing, but we knew enough that the fuzzy bathrobe tied around the, the wrist to the forepost totally worked. And something about the fuzzy bathrobe, it does kind of relax into just the right firmness without cutting off circulation or nerves, which is really cool. Is there a sign if your nerves or your circulation is getting okay. cut off? Yeah, it's not 100%. It's never 100%. Okay, so if you're the person being tied up, you have to speak up the other way in which you use your lips. <laughs> um, you have to speak up and say if something's not comfortable. It can be just a slight little thing, you know. Um, if it just feels like your fingertip or some part of your body is a little tingly, like, you know, the, the little bit of pins and needles you might get from crossing your legs too long, mm -hmm. right? If you get that feeling, immediately you should start to uh, change position or ties or whatever. Ever sleep on your arm and wake up with that, like, tingling arm? Yeah. It's falling asleep. Yeah. If you get that, immediately got to change it because it, it might be something mild and inconsequential, but it might also be a sign of something going very seriously wrong and you can't tell the difference. So that's a nerve ending. Stop. And can that be permanent or is it temporary? Um, it can be permanent. Um, it can be cumulative. You could have lots of little ones that you just don't deal with, and then eventually you'll end up creating a weak point. So if you feel that you're doing something wrong, you got to cut it out. Right. So as a recommendation, taking a class, being led by an expert in no, this area. can never hurt. Look, there's only so much really that you can learn online. The internet is very, very helpful. Obviously, you're listening to us on the internet. <laughs> but there's nothing quite as good as actually playing and also learning hands-on from people who have made a lot of mistakes. Look, for those of us who are out there that are teaching, we're teaching because we fucked everything up. Okay? I, I will say for myself, I can't speak for other instructors, but I have done possibly everything you could do wrong, wrong along the way. In order to be is, successful, there has to be failures yeah, along the way. Which is how I know how to tell you what to avoid. <laughs> And what's not a good idea and what's a good idea. So the thing with kink classes, what's really cool about it is they will focus on just the kink stuff. So whether it's spanking or flogging or bondage, so they'll just focus on that topic. So for my bondage classes, you can be fully closed. You're not going to be naked. You're not going to be fucking anti-each other. That's homework. <laughs> okay. I assign lots of naked homework. Okay. So if you or your partner's a little shy, you know, show up wearing like your gym clothes, yoga clothes, and we practice a lot of things, and then you get a lot of naked sex homework. Ooh. Mm -hmm. Do you have some upcoming classes? I do, indeed. Let's see. I have August 2nd and 3rd, the Rope Dojo, and that's ropedojo.com. It's a two-day intensive. And where is it? That's in San Francisco. We feed you. We make sure to have fruit and sugar and lunch and chocolate and all sorts of goodies to keep you going. Lots of exercises, lots of storytelling, head, heart, and hand. The theory, the emotional connection, the tying as well as full body stuff. So Rope Dojo got that. And I have shorter classes too. I have a, a rope body harness class coming up. Yep. Where is that going to be? Uh, that one is at the Citadel. And then okay. I have, oh, I have a brand new class called Control and Dominance Moves. It's using rope and rope play as, it's like how to be an awesome, fierce lead in the bedroom. Really? Yeah. Tell me more. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun. Using simple, effective body motion to control and guide. And let, you will have no idea how you ended up on your knees. And this could be for men, women, yep. couples, yep. singles. Yep. And even with uh, different physical abilities. Really? Mm -hmm. All right. And when is this? Uh, that one is August, the later part of August this month. It's in my calendar. Okay. And that one's at the Center for Sex and Culture. We'll get the dates in our, our yeah. show notes and onto our, our blog yeah. for everyone. Oh, that's, that's good. That's a brand new one. It's a lot of fun. You know, that's a good one because quite a few ladies approach me and it seems that since that trilogy book came out with the different shades of 
great. A lot of women are actually taking more of a dominant role in the bedroom and the husbands are standing behind them smiling. And <laughs> it is wonderful to see these big men smiling, thinking, yeah, that's right. My lady's going to spank me or the, mm -hmm. I, they want to be tied up. So oh, yeah. these classes are would be great because these women are asking me as a dominant woman, they're asking me for tips and I am not what I would consider an expert. Yes, I can be a bitch at times, but I am by far not an instructor. So I would love to send them yeah. to you because it would be perfect. I enjoyed the rope dojo class that we were oh, in. I, I love doing that because it's, it's like two days of running around and... Oh, it's yeah. intense, but yeah. you had quite a few trainers there, a lot of experts yes, there. Yes, yes. Uh, we didn't feel alone at any time. Mm -hmm. It I was have awesome. An awesome team of cadre. You do. Yeah. It was awesome. The funniest part was tying up Twisted Monk with cheap polyester rope. Oh, oh, torture. His skin True was torture. <laughs> True torture. <laughs> Oh my God. It was, it was. Mm. Okay, good. Um, another class that I have already recommended to quite a few women is the Forte Femme. Oh yes. Forte Femme, Women's Dominance Weekend Intensive. You know, it's really catching on. Professor Teen loved it. She raves about it. She tells everybody about it. She took away a lot of skill set. And I thought at first I was skeptic. I'm like, oh, you don't need to go. But I, I got to tell you, she owns the Queen Walk. Yeah. She does this demonstration of this walk in her boots mm -hmm. and every woman stops her and asks, how do you do this? And I'm mm -hmm. thinking, it's just a walk, but it's not just a walk. Mm -mm. There is attitude in this walk. Mm -hmm. She owns the walk. Yeah, we've we seen her use it on the prowl. Yes, Woof. we have. Woof. Yeah, we saw yeah. it in Niagara and Valentine's. She owns that walk. Oh, and it's because fabulous. of you. Oh, that makes me so happy. It's your signature walk. Yeah. Well, the most impressive thing that I saw was right after when we went and picked her up from Fort FM training. Yeah. She was oh, almost drunk. Technically, she was sober, but she was, yeah. Let's we call just it pheromone act, drunk. Acting drunk just oh. off of top space. Oh, I've yeah. never seen her like that. The ener the the women that that come to the weekend. I mean, they're obviously invested in exploring power mm -hmm. and authentic power, right? And just the journey that we take is amazing. Now, the next one in San Francisco is already sold out. It's actually oversold, and I just added a Fort FM in New York City in November. Good. It's drawing amazing women. Yep. Every class, just amazing women. Oh, oh, a new thing that I'm doing, we're planning a special alumna events. Really? Yes, Fort I... FM graduates. There'll be some that's Fort FM graduate women only. I need to go to class then. Yes. <laughs> and then there's a Fort FM graduates and partners event. So we'll have lovely socials. Because it all, it can't all be like, you know, dungeon events. What if we, you know, had a Fort FM beauty day out? There you go. You know, manicure, pedicure, wine and chocolate. I like that. Yeah. You can't. Or, <laughs> yeah. or, or, already signing up. or <laughs> mini classes. Because, you know, in the, in the two and a half days, there's still so much material to cover. But with the shared background that, okay, so we're going to do a specialty class on uh, this particular topic or that particular topic. What are some of the topics that you go through on the Fort Defend? Uh, we go through so much. We, we do a lot of digging deep into finding your authentic power space because so many of us end up doing is we end up trying to play act something where other people expect of us mm -hmm. and it doesn't feel right. It feels cheesy and corny. It really and, does. Yeah. And how do you get to a place of your own power without feeling like a fake? How do you ask for what you want and hold space? How do you own it, right, without being owned by it? Own your skebe. Yes, own your skebe. <laughs> skebe is a Japanese word for pervert. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so we do that. On the practical side, we cover basic uh, flogging. Uh, but, well, it's not basic flogging because it's a California twirl. So the flogging, we cover. Is that the same as the Florentine? No, totally different. It's really? It's a style developed by a bunch of amazing gay men in uh, the 60s, 70s, and 80s. And it creates Honey, an go get your amazing psychological effect. It's really intense. So foundations of flogging, foundations of bondage, some paddling. Also, really clever, active listening negotiation skills to help you craft mm -hmm. a scene like we did in dojo mm -hmm. but in greater detail i didn't know it could get 
more granular. Yeah, we just spend more time on it. Right. Because in dojo, we actually touch on it and then go. But at Fort FM, you have you have lab time, and mm-hmm. during lab time, your requirement is to do a a full and authentic authentic negotiation. I think what is very unique about Fort FM is being able to let your boundaries down because you are only with women. You don't have male partners. You don't have the men inside. And I have seen a difference when I'm in a women's only mm-hmm. class. There's a different energy. There's a different um, style. We let our hair down. We do. Oh, and we cry and we bitch and moan and then we compare notes. And, and we laugh and we yeah. giggle. I love it. And the thing is, you know, with we don't the, have to flex muscle with a two and a half day format. You know, we get to really talk about real life stuff because you know, here you are, you have career and family and all the things in life that mm-hmm. that you want to take care of. Your life isn't just about uh, that compartmentalized sexual self. So, how do you balance relationship and desire and all your life's obligations and all the other things you want to do, and find place for your power and pleasure? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm just amazed that you have the time to put all this together and and, and the art and the books and the Oh, you trainings. should see all the things that I don't get done. <laughs> and then you're, you're also active in charities? My big charity is AIDS Lifecycle. And it's a crazy seven-day bike ride from San Francisco to L.A. for raising awareness and critically needed funds for HIV services. I, I'm not on the bicycle. I'm not that crazy. I'm part of the support crew, the volunteer crew. and Roadie. Yeah, I'm a roadie. I love being a roadie. And I spend 10 days of my life in service to a bigger cause. That's huge. And I noticed that when I was reading about the, uh, the Cycle for Life, you lost a friend just recently. Yeah, yeah. I think so. AIDS and HIV, it's really become a complacent yeah topic because i remember in the 80s and my i lost my mom's sister to it in 92 and it was a hot topic i mean it was everywhere aids awareness was a hot topic and slowly slowly it's not as hot of a topic to discuss i've lost co-workers i've lost friends i've lost family members and the thing is now there's also the AIDS-related or long-term survivor disease like the the friend uh, michael that we lost he went of a massive heart attack, and he was young, relatively speaking. You know, age young, um, cusp of fifty. That's young, fifty. And you know what? He was like thirty years on thirty years positive, and on all those HIV drugs. They start and, off with the AZTs uh, and, and all that stuff in the and beginning. You have to take it all the time, yep. and what that does to the body. I have another friend that technically we lost from cancer. But would his immune system been different had it not been compromised by the disease and ravaged by the medicine that was saving his life while also eating him alive? Exactly. And he might have been diagnosed differently had the doctor not been looking at an HIV medicine side effect. You know, we think of the the gay population in North America, but... It's not a gay population no. thing. My aunt was not gay. Yeah. It is a hetero disease. Yeah. As much as a gay disease, it is a human disease. It is also a factor of national security. When you have HIV ravaging various countries in, in the continent of Africa, mm-hmm. then it creates a massive social instability, poverty, and that also leads to, well, dissatisfaction, unrest, political upheavals, coups, and then combining with, I mean, this connects to to national security issues. That's right. So it's not, public health is also political stability. Right. So in the swinger lifestyle, Mm -hmm. as well as the the poly communities Mm -hmm. that we're familiar with and we run around in, it's actually mind-blowing how many men want to bear back and how many men actually try to sneak it beyond where they have the condoms and all of a sudden they slip it off right before penetrating 13 oh no these men are you know 30 40 50 when i hear or anyone talks about hiv and aids it's so near and dear to my heart because of the folks that we have lost but how do you advocate and educate people or beat them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Man, this whole idea that they're immune from it 
You know, it's magical thinking, and we're prone to it. They look healthy, I'm healthy, I like them, it must be fine. It's magical thinking, you know? It's just as stupid as... They're good friends of mine. They're safe. Yeah. Okay, so one thing for me is I've got genital herpes, and I tell you, it saved my life. And it sounds really weird to say this. Yeah, that's right. It sounds weird. it sounds totally (laughs) weird. But I got genital herpes in college from one of my... My first few lovers. He probably right? didn't know he had it. No, I mean, he had oral herpes. And he, you know, he could go down and muff dive like a champion, okay? <laughs> I mean, like practically gills on the side of his head kind of <laughs> muff diving. I mean, championship, awesome stuff. But apparently, every year after the first day of skiing, he would get a cold sore. After skiing? Sun exposure. Really? Yeah. He would get a cold sore. He didn't think much of it. You know, he took me skiing, yay, skiing. And then, you know, we go skiing, he has a cold sore, he goes down on me. And then a week later, I'm in so much pain, I can't walk, right? Not in the mouth. Yeah. Down below. Yep. And I went to the the public health clinic, and how the nurse practitioner treated me was criminal, absolutely criminal. She didn't do a swab, she just looked at me full of judgment. Mm. And shame, and fortunately, her shame did not rub off on me. And instead, I turned it into a college thesis project. Good for you. Still, I could have been shamed, but how did it save my life? Okay, so then, let's see, I'm in college in the late 80s at Berkeley. I'm suddenly going from uh, pre-sexual high school students focused on school and not, you know, having sex. And then I'm in college, woo, sex, yeah, awesome. (laughs) Okay, I am fucking and fucking and having sex and like claiming my adult sexual privilege. (laughs) Boom, then I get herpes. And I decide that, okay, I need to change the way I'm doing this because I like the sex thing, but this was obviously stupid. I need to not be stupid. I'm better than that. So I started using condom. It's the late 80s in the Bay Area. Mm -hmm. Then I moved to San Francisco and I'm being a trisexual. But I have herpes at this time, and I could immediately say, hi, uh, okay, that's totally cool, and your place or mine, and your condom or mine, because I have herpes. And at that point, all these people dying of HIV and AIDS, and AIDS-related stuff, infections, herpes just was so trivial. It gave me uh, the conversational in as a way to protect everyone. Mm-hmm. When I said, it's me, it's really me, not you, I meant it. Right. And yeah, if they didn't want to have sex with me because I have a very common disease, well, they didn't deserve me. Which I believe three out of five adults are herpes positive, but asymptomatic. Yeah. Yeah. Something ridiculously high like that. It is very high to the point where they do not test herpes on STIs. You have to purposely ask for the herpes test. Yeah. And we've had nurses argue with us when we asked for it and we explained to them, we're non-monogamous, we need to have this test. And they're like, oh, well, just don't be shocked if one of you becomes positive because most people are positive. We just don't worry about it because it's not life-threatening. I'm like, oh my God, how many people are positive that are running around with no condoms? And on top of that, okay, so like I grew up in Japan, right? So I had a different kind of uh, viral bacterial exposure as a kid. And I think from where you grow up and what kind of stuff you have exposure to, that also makes a difference in susceptibility. That's true. So anyhow, herpes, had I not had the wake-up call early in college to become smarter about my behavior and be more responsible as, uh, be a more responsible slut. Um, Yeah. Clapping. (laughs) And if it wasn't for that. Own your slut. I would be dead. Mm. I honestly think I would be dead. I see what you're saying. Yeah. I... I was not safe in college. I In the early 90s, even going through that with my aunt, I still was the promiscuous one. And, you know, guys didn't like using condoms and I wanted to fuck. So, okay, you're safe, I think. So let's fuck. And then I would go through those stupid anxieties. Yeah. And then I would go get the test. And then I'd be clean. And then I'd be a good girl. And, you know. Oh, so in my blowjob class, my uh, joystick secret class, mm. I... I teach, and we all do this on zucchinis or cucumbers, the putting the condom on with your mouth. Actually, a full body condom application, right? Non-latex, I hope, because it tastes like a balloon. Oh, no, 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 no. You can uh, The flavored ones. 
Oh. Yeah, I love the minty ones because it's like fresh in your breath while sucking dick. I use that with dental dam. Yeah. Mint. Yeah, but the mint ones are good. Yeah, so fresh in your breath when you're sucking a cock. Yeah, I mean, or whatever you're sucking. It's, yeah, it's awesome, <laughs> awesome Cucumber. etiquette, right? And now if they'd only come up with fluoridated condoms. Oh, I like that idea. Right, right? like whiten your teeth while sucking dick. That's fluoridated condom with minty flavor. Why is her smile so white and bright? <laughs> Mentos. Yeah. So. You know, just just showing and and doing in the classroom, putting a condom on with your mouth. It's amazing how much that empowers the women, and it's sexy. It's it's hot. It is hot. Yeah, and it is very hot. Showing that, and then, like in my blowjob class, right? It's called Joystick Secrets. It, it would turn the guy on too. I mean, oh, you can yeah. make it into yeah. a very sexy oh, yeah. playtime. Yeah, and if you really want to show off how to do that, do it on a long neck beer bottle in a bar. See how many you pick up. Honey, when are we going to the bar? I'm going to try this you trick. You like a Corona. Thinking, you know, if you're really good on a Sapporo bottle. You know. I like that. Yeah. We got to go out drinking. It ought to be awesome. I don't drink beer, but I want a beer. I want that I long neck. I did that once in a gay bar just for fun. and Did it bring out the bisexual boys? Well, some of the gay men were like, mmm. <laughs> <laughs> We just cover your head and we'll just play. (laughs) That was fun. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah. Um, So the uh, the cycle for life. uh, Can people volunteer for it? Can they donate? Yeah. Folks out there want to cycle. It is the most amazing bicycle ride. Seven days. All you have to do is cycle. We will take care of your luggage. You will have all the food you want. Hot showers. You get to see uh, California in a way that you never saw before. Is it going down Highway One? No, all sorts of different trails. Yes. You'll see dolphins. You'll go through strawberry fields. Yeah. It's kind of like Burning Man on Wheels with a Cause and organized with military precision. Can I do it naked then? Sunscreen, please. Okay. Okay. You said Burning Man on Wheels. Yeah, Burning Man on Wheels with a Cause uh, managed with military precision by drag queens and dykes. That sounds fun. Amazing. It is this little bubble. 3,000 people, 2,500 cyclists. Oh, my gosh. Um, 600 roadies or so. It's this bubble of kindness and love for like 10 days. It's amazing. I like it. Yeah. That is like a Burning Man feeling. Yeah. And you cry a lot. Oh, you can, yeah. You can cycle. You can also volunteer. You can be a roadie. And if you can't do the full seven days, we also need volunteers on the day zero, the orientation day, mm-hmm. and the start off day, and yep. then the closing ceremony. I like it. So where do they find this information? Uh, AIDSLifeCycle.org. Perfect. Yeah. And I'm sure you'll accept donations of... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And if, if, hey, if you guys out there sign up for it, uh, tell them I sent you. No, really, tell them I sent you. And I'm, I'm there under Midori. Midori. Midori, Midori. Yep. All right. Wow, that was a <laughs> lot. <laughs> Is there anything possibly that we didn't talk about? Oh, we didn't talk about our cats, but oh, we can save that for another no, show. <laughs> we'll, we'll do cat Dear pictures God. next time. You would think, all right, if you sign up for my social media stuff, all of which I'm on as Planet Midori, and you might expect, oh, you know, sexy men and women tied up and, and, there is and naked that. pussies. And naked pussies. Well, you do get naked pussy, except <laughs> they're in a fur coat. Yeah. One's a tabby, another's a Maine Coon, another's a Calico. I am a crazy cat lady. <laughs> so you get food photos, cat photos, and travel photos. Either you, you're delighted or you're disappointed, you know? <laughs> You're yeah. going to have to come to one of her classes to actually see some naked bodies. Yeah, yeah. And at that point, you have to be a volunteer and be yeah. a bottom. Yeah, or come to the, the San Francisco Asian Art Museum where the, the amazing, stunning Samar I'm will be my subject. It. Yeah. It's going to be a date night for us. Yeah, and, and you know what was cool? Uh, the museum, I asked about, you know, levels of nudity for my performer, and they're like, oh, nudity, we don't care. This it's is San art. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What they did care about was what kind of plants I was bringing in. Why? Because uh, art conservation crew, because the plants could bring in oh, oh, pests that could eat yes. the original artwork. Oh, my gosh. You know, they have a thousand-year-old scroll. Mm-hmm. They don't care about boobs, pussies, and cocks that are not covered, but they do care about the tiny itty bitty beetle. Oh my gosh, that is one thing I would never have right? considered. That, that they is must, so Can you imagine right? how many things probably got destroyed by some little gnat? Beetle. 
or beetle or whatever. Like tits, whatever. We don't care. (laughs) Just make sure they're hosed down. If you go into the Indian art section, hello, we got boobs and cocks and pussy and lingams and yonis everywhere. What do they care? Yeah, that we have a whole show note on on India. One of our single friends just traveled a whole year in India. Wow. Sexy time. She did did India. Literally. (laughs) But that's another episode. Okay. (laughs) People can find you as Planet Midori on the usual suspect yep. social um, networks. Instagram and Twitter, I'm really active there, at Planet Midori. And then you'll find me uh, in Facebook, both under Planet Midori as well as Midori, really Midori. The last name appears as really Midori to mean that, yes, my name really is Midori. So Midori, really Midori or Planet Midori. And my classes in the calendar you'll find at www.f hp-inc.com that's uh, short for Firehorse Productions that's right and we will put all those links in the show notes thank you thank you so much thank Midori. you so much uh, I better uh, get home to uh, your kitty spouse and my kitties Aww. Yeah. wow I guess that was one of the longest times we ever sat together with somebody without having sex with them anyhow If you want to try some of the kinky tips that you heard or even try out some bondage tape, check out stockroom.blizzbringers.com because they have all the coolest gear. But before that, go to blizzbringers.com and subscribe via iTunes or Stitcher and have the new episodes automatically delivered to your phone for free immediately. What more could you want? Until next time, what's your pleasure? All names mentioned in this show are either fictional, taken from public record, or held by people who have given their explicit consent to be mentioned. 